You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I like Hallmark movies. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I do. Um, here's the thing. It's the same format. <laughs> Some of the other guys are shaking their heads at me, and I'm, I have to turn to my man card after the church today. But I do. I do like them. It's the same format, the same pattern for every movie. It's, it's the same. It doesn't matter the storyline. It's always the same. The first 40 minutes were introduced to the two main characters, the man and the woman. And... Um, you know, it's somehow fate causes their paths to cross. It's, it was some, you know, accident of the cosmos that puts them together somehow. And, and at first, it seems like they, they're like oil and water. They just don't mix. Their, their personality conflicts. They're just, they're, it's, just, it's just kind of funny to see how they, you know. It, 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 but, but then after a little bit of time, they start to like each other. You know, there's always one that's a little resistant. And, but then they start to soften and... and so then it starts like, all right, this is starting to become a thing, or they're becoming a thing. And then, but you can, you can almost set your clock on it. At about the 40-minute mark of this hour-long show, something happens that causes a rift in the relationship. And it's usually a misunderstanding of some sort. It's always something very stupid, all right? It's always very childish. It's always very immature. And, and you know, you're, 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 in my mind, I'm thinking, like, just tell her what you're thinking, you know, or just, you know, it's like, quit being so childish about this. But so then for the next 15 minutes then, they're, like, trying to go on with life separately. And so you got these, you know, and, but they're both miserable. They just can't, you know, it's just not working. With five minutes left in the show, they get together again. Somehow they get back together and, and they reconnect. And again, here, you can set your clock by it. At two minutes left, at exactly two minutes left in the show, they kiss. There's always the kiss with two minutes. I've actually pushed the pause button to see how much time is left, and it's like 1.58, 2.03. But I mean, it's right at that two-minute marker. And then for the next last minute and 45 seconds, whatever you spend, is like they show you how they live happily ever after with the thing. So that's, that's the... They don't get any sappier or more predictable than Hallmark movies. I love them. So the story of Ruth in the Old Testament is kind of like a Hallmark movie. Not sure if the two will get together, and it has a wonderful ending. It's just one of those things that just, you ever, you ever really feels good inside. But what's interesting about the, the story of Ruth is that the first part of the story isn't even about Ruth. It's about her mother-in-law, Naomi. And while the story of Ruth is pretty great, we think Naomi has something to tell us today. And so Kate and I, that's why she's standing here, she's awkwardly waiting for me to get done talking here, um, we're actually going to walk us through this story together. And, uh, and we're going to take through this first part this, that involves Naomi. Um, it's important to remember that overarching this entire story, overarching the entire story, the book of Ruth is a story of God's providence and his redeeming love revealed through the adversities of life. Overarching everything, it's about God's providence and his love in the midst of our tragedy. So with that being said, we're going to um, uh, read. We're going to start with uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And you can follow along on your screens, or on the screen, or on your screens, or our pages if you happen to have the old version. 
So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And the man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, I'm going to pause here as I read through this to explain a few things. Um, at the very beginning, if I can have the first verse up there again, um, when, in days when the judges ruled. Um, so this is the period of time where the Israelites have entered in the promised land. So we've had the exodus, but we haven't gotten to the time of, of King you know, Saul and King David and the king. So it's in that time of the judges that's happening there. Um, right around 1000 BC. So about 1000 years before the time of Christ. Um, here's the thing too. Talk about a famine. Famines were not uncommon in that area. In fact, even in the Bible, we see where there's famines happening. We read Abraham, where God first went to Abraham. And if you go to a land, I will show you land flowing with milk and honey, and all these great things. And it says that Abraham does this, and he arrives, and there was a famine in the land. And Abraham then heads to Egypt and um, stays there. We also um, read about um, Joseph. Remember Joseph, uh, sorry, Joseph, and he was in Egypt after his brother sold him into slavery. And then after a period of time, there's a famine in Israel, and his father sends his brothers. They meet Joseph. They're reunited. But again, there's a famine that's happening. So it's not the first time we hear about famines. It's not the first time that we, um, it's not the first time we actually hear about uh, Bethlehem either. We first hear about Bethlehem in, in, back with um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was buried in Bethlehem. That's where the first time we uh, we first read about this. But this was actually even about 500 years earlier. So Bethlehem, we think of Bethlehem as this little city, you know, because of Jesus and the, boy, the baby born there. Bethlehem, by the time of Christ, is 1,500 years old, um, at least is what we know at that point in time. So this was a, a city that had been on forever, been a, a long time. Ephrathites, that's mentioned in the next one, is um, they were Ephrathites. From, um, there's, there's some thought there. There's, some, there's not... Um, there's not um, exact opinion, but there's consensus that Ephrathah was actually the, the Canaanite name or the, the, the non-Israelite name for Bethlehem. And so they're talking, there were synonymous terms. So basically it was an Ephrathite, Ephrathite from Bethlehem was actually saying the same thing, just two different languages um, would have been the name of the Canaanite city. Um, so that says that they went to Moab. And uh, you can see there on the map, uh, there with you got Bethlehem, and then they went to Moab there in the lower right. So they had to go around the Dead Sea. This is a pretty desolate country. A lot of sand, a lot of nothing. Uh, scrub grass and just, it's not a very pleasant place to live at all. Um, but that's where they went during this time of famine. It's about 50, depends on where they went to Moab. If they went, you know, further down or if they just crossed it over the river and they were towards the north end of it. Uh, but it was at least 50 to 60 miles. So we're talking about at least a seven to 10 day journey by foot that it took them to get there. Um, we don't know why in the writing of the story, we don't know why they picked Moab. Again, in the, in the other prior prefer, uh, references to famines, they all went down to Egypt. So why Moab this time? We're not given that interest of that. And what's interesting, there's no judgment in the text about leaving Israel from Moab. I mean, clearly we, we find out later on that a lot, most Israelites stayed. 
And so there was not this, like, he, that he made a really bad decision. He should have stayed. Or nor we said that he was good because he did leave. There's, there's no moral judgment. It's just acknowledging the fact that they did left. So we have uh, Elimelech and his family are now in Moab. And we pick up the story. Uh, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Um, again, the Bible doesn't give us much information about Moab or Moab culture. We really don't know that much. Um, marrying Moabite women is usually portrayed as a bad thing. And all the other references, that when there is a, a intermingling between Israelites and Moabites, it's bad. In this context, there's no, again, there's no moral judgment there at all. In this story, it's not a problem that these two sons married these two women. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And then what picks up in this story, and we're going to jump ahead a little bit here in just a second, but what happens here is that they're, they're on the road back to Israel, um, and Naomi and the two daughters-in-law. And along the way, we don't know if it was an hour down the road or a day into the journey, she said, yeah, all right, stop, listen, you guys, don't come with me, go back. Which really, when you think about it, I mean, here are two, you know, young women, relatively young, who have no family in Israel. They're all, their families are back in Moab. Why would she want them to come? And again, we don't time and uh, of distance of culture. We really don't know what the obligation was there, why they were going back, or why would they even, you know, want to leave their home to go to a foreign land as a widow, which is, again, just an, a, a difficult place to be in life. Naomi convinces Orpah to return to the home of her family, but Ruth, the heroine of our story, um, decides to stay and continue on the journey with her. So in verse 15, we pick it up in the passage. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And I love this part. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. <clears throat> I would love to have known what the basis of the relationship. <clears throat> I mean, this is a huge commitment. Again, I'm a daughter-in-law. <clears throat> I'm a widow. I'm, I'm leaving my family, my culture, my home, and going to someplace I don't know, I'm not familiar with, a different language, different customs, all this. And I'm going as, at a disadvantage. I'm a widow, so I, I have no advantage. And I'm going because of a commitment or a relationship with my mother-in-law. That must have been a really interesting dynamic. I would love to have actually known more about them and, and how they work together. And then lastly, it was a pick up in verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, 
because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And then there's actually another verse that I, I, that's relevant to the story um, that I don't think it's on a slide. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And that plays into the story later on. Uh, again, Naomi, if you know that, Naomi actually means pleasant. And so she, when she picked Mara, which actually means bitter, she was playing off her, her own name as what she was doing here. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we've uh, begun looking at the story of Ruth, there's just a lot of, of elements that are here. <clears throat> the, just the dynamics between um, culture and between the relationship between Naomi and Ruth and, and uh, Lord, just the, the tragedy of life, of losing, um, all of them have lost a husband. Naomi's also lost both sons. And uh, just the, the tone and the words she used just speak to the depth of despair and even anger that she was feeling towards you at, at this time. And uh, so, God, as we um, come to you um, this day, as we, we look at this a little bit further, we trust you to open our eyes to see and hear what you would want us to hear this day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. I just, my voice cracked. That was crazy. Um, I, the self-control Sam has not to call Orpah Oprah is amazing. I went a whole kid's sermon one time calling her Oprah, and I got corrected afterwards. Well, o- o- Oprah's name is actually Orpah after this woman, but they couldn't pronounce, they mispronounced it, so the name just stuck, Oprah. It actually is no Orpah. Way. She was named after this woman in the Bible. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, so so I don't you feel were good. Yeah, yeah, so you're okay. Great. <laughs> so the setup to the story is one of tragedy. We don't get much detail about the good things that happen in their lives, more so just the adversity. Elimelech and Naomi experience a famine, and there's a food shortage. So by their own choosing, they go to Moab, right? And Elimelech then dies, and Naomi is now a widow in a foreign land. Naomi's two sons marry Moabite women. And their wives are barren. And then Naomi's two sons die. When you think it couldn't get any worse, it does. She releases her daughters-in-law to return to their family to live in relative comfort because she is aware that a foreign widow in an unknown land will be hard. So um, we have four different points we're going to be going through today. And the first one is life can be hard and at times difficult to understand. I cannot imagine being in Naomi's shoes. I mean, we've had a pretty rough year, right? I mean, that, what did, what did Manny say? He called it that, that, the COVID thing. <laughs> the COVID thing has made things rough. I actually had a trip that was planned this weekend that got canceled because of it. And so annoying. I was so looking forward to that trip. It ruined my whole weekend. I tried to make it better, but you know, you know how that happens. You just get weary. <laughs> And what I do know, though, to be true in my own life is when we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. And in this story, we can see, she says, I was once full, but now I am empty. She was once in a pleasant circumstance, but now she's in a bitter circumstance. And 
I don't blame her for taking it this far. I don't blame her for exaggerating the moment where she's at. So this is the setup for the Hallmark movie, right? So you see the bitterness and the general outlook of one of the main characters. And it, it honestly is the setup to either a dark movie or a movie where you're convincing the character that life isn't all sad scenes and dark days. And I don't know about you, but I need that sometimes. Uh, someone to come out and convince me it's not all sad scenes and dark days. As Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she tells the people to call her Mara because the Lord God has made her feel bitter. Feeling the pain of life is okay. It's when we sit there too long and let that wound fester. A healing wound, it takes time, right? But it's when we're not dressing the wound, when we're not caring for it, and it breaks apart and that we, we become wounded even further because we let something bad grow worse. A healing wound takes time. It's when it's not taken care of that it can get rough. So when you choose to follow Jesus, you are not promised a problem-free existence, but you are promised God's presence and his help. So Ruth joins in her journey back home with Naomi, showing a remarkable loyalty. One way to survive the negatives in life is to look for the blessings. And so in this, this moment in time, the blessing that um, Mara, Naomi, has is Ruth. And the fact that Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And if she would have looked at that, if she would have looked at the good things in her life, she would have realized that there is something to be thankful for. There is a God who is working behind the scenes. In Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God said, and this is what I want you to catch, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When we catch that we are promised God's presence and his help, no matter what situation we face, we can face it. And we can walk away a stronger, better human, whether or not the situation turns out good. That's not what the point is. The point is, and in this, the Hallmark movie, we know it does. But the point is, is that whether it does or not, what does turn out good is God's plans for our lives. When was the last time you paused in your adversity and looked around for Jesus? I think one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to get you to believe the lie that you're alone. Uh, this past, was actually two weeks ago, I um, was having a lot of trouble sleeping. And I've been really focused in, I've been using this time of, you know, staying at home more so than I'd like to really focus in on like bad habits and things that I need to break that will just help me grow closer to God. And so there's, there's one habit I'm, I'm really working on breaking in my life. And um, I couldn't. And what was happening is my, I was, my sleep was getting disrupted because of it. I really believe the enemy was attacking me. Um, one thing I know for certain is that um, if we don't get our basic needs met, then everything else is extra hard. You know, like if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all the psychology things, you learn that having a good night's sleep, having food in your belly and having a shelter over you are things that are important for you to thrive. And so because I wasn't getting good sleep, me breaking a habit wasn't going to happen. And so because I knew it was an attack, 
I decided to ask some friends to pray. So I reached out to a few friends. Um, Actually, one of the blessings that I have from working at Grace Covenant is um, the elders are all assigned a pastor to pray for and a pastor to support. And so I texted my elders and I was like, please pray for me because I need to get some sleep. And it was like that God used that moment to remind me that he's there. You know, there's so many prayers he hasn't answered yet, but I'm so grateful when he does because that night I was able to sleep for the first time in a long time through the night. I got a solid eight hours and I have since. And it's really helped me to remember that those small things, those, those blessings that we look for are, gonna what, are what's going to take us to the next level. So friends, I want to remind you, you are not alone. A second takeaway, we think, from the life of Naomi, from the passage we read, is um, at times it is difficult to understand what God is up to, which can exasperate us and turn us bitter. Uh, I remember uh, one of my kids, I can't remember which one. Um, I have a hunch, but I'm not going to divulge their uh, identity here. But um, they wanted something, and I said no, and they were having a fit about it. And you know, it goes back and forth and, you know, emotions get high. I'm there and I really wasn't, I was kind of indifferent about it. But I remember they were really upset to the point where they said to me something, you may have heard something similar. Well, if that's the way you're going to be, you're not my dad anymore. Okay. <laughs> you know, now, with a kid, you know, it depends, it depends on their age. The kid, the, you know, was kind of humorous, seemed a little cute. Um, unfortunately, we do the same things as adults with God. We don't understand why adversity struck. We don't understand, you know, why certain things happen. And we live a godly life to the best of our ability. We volunteer, we serve, we're generous, we even tithe. I mean, we do all the things we know we're to do, and yet, even so or in spite of adversity hits. Something happens, and something that, that either is in a moment or something that could go on for decades. And we don't understand why bad things happen to us, and we get angry with God, and we say to God, if that's where you're going to be, then I'm not going to follow you anymore. You know, if, um, if I were to stay up really late tonight, not because I couldn't sleep, just because I'm watching a Hallmark movie. Let's just say that. <laughs> you know? So it's a Hallmark movie. And I'm, let's just say I stay up till 2 o'clock in, you know, in the morning. Tomorrow, Monday, I'll feel fine. I will be perfectly fine Monday. Tuesday, I will be off. I, I've noticed that just that's what happens to me. It's not the day, that day. It's 24 hours later after the fact. And I'm, I'm, I may be a bit more irritable. Um, and just my emotions are off. I'm just not, I'm not hitting on all cylinders. And I've, I've learned not to make any big long-term decisions on days after I've stayed up late. The circumstance of staying up late of that lack of sleep has skewed my emotions, which in turn has skewed my perspective which I think informs us this way. Don't interpret God through the circumstances of life. Always go back to the truth of who God is and what his word says. 
So we interpret our circumstances through God. We do not interpret God through our circumstances. Now, part of how we navigate these times is to remember that God is always working on our behalf. So the next point is human adversity becomes God's opportunity for advancing his great redemptive purposes. A curious fact about this short little book, Ruth is only four chapters, if you're wondering. God is hardly mentioned. He is mentioned a few times by the characters, but never by the narrator. And I think that was on purpose. I think the narrator, God wanted to communicate to us that even though it might not seem like he's there by the lack of mentioning, in reality, he's working through our obedience. He's working behind the scenes to do something incredible. Naomi was convinced that God was using her tragedy to punish her. But out of Naomi's adversity, God grafted in a Gentile woman by the name of Ruth, who, this is totally a, um, I'm giving away some of the story, I'm sorry, who gave birth to a son, and that son became a part of the lineage of Jesus. Um, God had a plan to restore from the beginning. You see, God can take your places of, of adversity and use them for his good and for the good of others. Currently, I am reading a book. I'm going to mention it twice today. Um, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I'm actually going through it with a couple of friends from here, and it's been so fun. This last chapter was not so much fun because it was about uh, grief. And I love this quote that he has in the book. Pete Scazzaro says, Turning toward our pain is counterintuitive. But in fact, the heart of Christianity is that the way of life is through death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. And then later on in the chapter, he says, But remember, resurrection only comes out of death, real death. Our losses are real, and so is our God, the living God. Where are you at in this present moment? What is God restoring, rebirthing, rebuilding out of your moment of adversity? I want to tell you a quick story of a friend of mine. Um, You might already know this story if you were following along because she's a pastor at the East Lincoln campus. Her name is Trish. Trish, a year ago, three days ago or something like that, she got a call. Her and her husband were trying to have a kid. They got a call that she had cancer. And I remember um, I worked with her. I worked closely with her because we work on the same team. And I spent all day long with her. We are the closest friend I have in North Carolina is Trish. Worked all day together. And she doesn't tell me that she got this life-changing call that she has uterine cancer. At the end of the day, she's finally like, Kate, I need to tell you something. She's like, it's going to be okay. But, and it was so funny because she set this up to comfort me instead of the fact that she needed a comfort for this life-changing circumstance. And so we prayed, and she later posted, and I got permission from her to share all this, um, posted in her on Facebook the other day this, uh, from my journal a year ago today, the goodness of the Lord never fails me. The goodness of the Lord is overwhelming. The goodness of the Lord will see me through. We'll see us through. It's Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019, and I received a phone call this morning that will have me declaring this song every morning. In 
endenosarcoma of the uterus. That weird name represents a tumor that is uterus cancer. The car ride to work was rainy. Caleb was on the radio. My emotions were a little up and down. But honestly, I didn't shed a tear. And neither did Chris. And I think it's because we both trust God with a peace that passes all understanding. We trust him that his plans are better than our plans. And we trust, trust that the God of the universe who created heaven and earth can take care of me, his precious daughter. Thank you, God, for being in control, for knowing my thoughts and for your sweet presence. Once again, today, I was on my way to work. And so this is current day. When I got a phone call from my doctor, you, oh, nope. One year ago today, yeah. You have cancer. I'm so sorry. I called Chris and we prayed and we went to work. From the moment on, we decided, oh, I just read the same thing twice. So it happens and I can't see anything. Um, he would be with us through it all. And oh my goodness, guys, he showed up in a big way. We felt peace every day that passed all human understanding. And I remember the oncologist asking if we had children. When we told her no, we were met with another, I'm so sorry. You have to have a hysterectomy. No babies would come from me. She was shocked at her response as we sat across from her and said, okay, God's goodness, God's peace. Surgery was December 9th, New Year's Eve, and I found out that I was cancer-free. No chemo, no radiation, praise the Lord. And a year later, through the miracle of adoption, I snuggle my five-month-old sweet baby boy, my son, and I sing, the goodness of the Lord never fails me. Being a friend of someone that's going through a life change is hard. I realized that she had it rough, but I, I felt like I was riding this wave with her. And I wanted to support her, but I also knew that I had to mourn this with her. I mean, to have somebody who dreamed of being a mother. If you knew her, you knew that every other conversation was, one day when I have a kid. And then for that opportunity to be taken from her, she mentions in there, that it was two weeks of silence before she figured out exactly what type of cancer she had. Those two weeks were the longest two weeks of my life. They were for her too. It felt like months. I was like, why aren't they telling us? Um, but the thing is, is that God had a miraculous birth story from this. Through the death of this dream, a new dream emerged. One that blows my mind still to this day of how God showed up and gave her a son. It's just amazing. And he's the perfect little guy. So. I love that. What a great story about God's <clears throat> blessing with Trish. And we see the same thing with, with Naomi as well, ultimately, as we're, we're getting further into the story. And I think that's our last uh, point I want to leave you with here this morning. God constantly watches over every one of his people and really does order circumstances of life for our greatest good. Although we don't have, we haven't taken the time to tell the entirety of Ruth's story here this morning. Um, if, if you read all four chapters, which you had a homework assignment last week, I want you to read all four. So if you did that, you know the story does in fact have a hallmark ending. Um, and stories, stories like this are so important to us. And stories like, like Trish's story because they validate our human response. They do. That if we live long enough, each of us are going to have experiences that are maybe tragic or painful, that are certainly not something the way we thought it would be. We have moments in life like Naomi in chapter 1. Fortunately, the stories does not end with the end of chapter 1. 
even though it might feel like we've been abandoned by God, or even worse, as Naomi thought, that God is actually actively working against us. Stories like Ruth's remind us that God is always at work in our lives and that he's working on chapter four, even while we're in chapter one. Uh, last night, uh, I did watch a movie. It wasn't until two in the morning. Um, but it was, have you ever seen the movie Greater? Um, it's, for me, it's a football story, so I love that. But it's about this kid, grew up in Arkansas, was always told you're not good enough. High school, you're not good enough. Ended up starting, you know. Um, you're not good enough to play Division I ball. Walked on at Arkansas. You're not good enough to get a scholarship. He got a scholarship by the end of his first year. You're not good. So, I mean, it's just one thing after another. And the thing about the story, um, it's a great, I can recommend it at all. It, it's PG. I mean, so it's clean. It's, it's a great movie, great story. He's a very committed Christ follower. So that comes out. His faith is throughout the whole story. Um, and ends up, you know, starting, you know, for the University of Arkansas. They, they are playing. They didn't play for the national championship that year. It was in the late 90s. But anyways, um, ends up getting drafted by the Indianapolis Colts and just a few days after the, the draft is killed in a car accident. And so the whole movie is this flashback going back and forth about why. I mean, of anybody who did everything right, the right way, integrity, character, everything, he changed, everyone he came in contact with, he changed their life. The stories of his roommates and all of his teammates, it's just an amazing thing. And so throughout the story, it's this question of why, why? And particularly the older, his older brother, it's just, he just, he's having a hard time wrestling with this and dealing with this. It ends in a way that's, that's just, we don't have the answers. We don't understand. I and mean, they actually close with a caption of his tombstone. I mean, it says, our loss is great, but God is greater. We don't have understanding. We don't, we can't explain it. We don't, we may never know why Trish had that. We don't know, we may never know why we lose people, why disease. There's so many things that happen in life that we will probably never have the answer to the question why. What Naomi tells us throughout this story and the story of Ruth is that God is at work in our lives. God is still great, um, is still greater than anything we may come against. And so today, we may feel like Naomi, we may feel like God is against us, but here's what I know. Even though we don't know the outcome, we have hope. We have hope so the story isn't over and God is writing chapter four even now. Hope is so much better than bitterness. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, fortunately, the story doesn't end with Naomi full of bitterness. And we'll get into more of that next week. However, until then, Kate's going to wrap up our time here this morning. It is through our trust in God that we may enter into adversity and leave better for it. Don't try to rush through the season you're in. Don't spend all the time, wish you're, all your time wishing it away. Instead, work through what God may be teaching you in it. Lean into the blessing you see and remember this. As you navigate the twists and the turns of life, never forget God is both sovereign and good. God is faithful to his promises, and God is working for your good.
So let's stand. Um, we have another homework assignment this week. Uh, I know, we're just so good, really. Sam, we're, we're teachers. We're like, this is school, right? No, I'm just kidding. But um, there's a, in the um, version Bible.com, there is a um, devotional that we'd like to invite you to participate in called Go Deep. Uh, it's called Ruth, A Story of Redemption. It's just over those four chapters. The other thing is we have four videos that you'll be able to watch as well. And you can find those on our social media pages in the, each morning. Um, I'm actually in one of them, so I am requiring you to watch that one. But I have a prayer at the end of the chapter of that book I previously mentioned. I changed it a bit to, to fit today, but it goes like this. Lord Jesus, when I think about my losses, it can feel like that I have no skin to protect me. I feel raw, scraped to the bone. I don't know why you have allowed such pain. Looking at Naomi helps, but I must admit that I struggle. Something new being birthed out of the old. Lord, grant me the courage to feel, to pay attention, and then to wait on you. You know that everything in me resists limits, humility, and the cross. So I invite you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to make your home in me as you describe in John 14, 23. To freely roam and fill every crevice of my life. And may the prayer of Job finally be mine. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.